name is Cass. I'm Alex. And welcome back to Anime is for Jerks. Uh, this month, we are talking about Memories, uh, which is a compilation movie from 1995. It's uh, directed by Koji Morimoto, Tensai Okamura, and Katsuhiro Tomo, and uh, produced by Studio 4 Degrees C and Madhouse. And this was, I actually found out while I was reading about this, this was Studio 4 Degrees C's like, first big project. Oh. Um, before this, they had done the opening animation to a season of Macross, but they had never done anything big. But yeah, Studio 4 Degrees C is uh, Koji Morimoto's studio, um, and he oh. worked on... Uh, he was like an animator on Akira, and he did oh. stuff on Kiki's... He did like key animation yeah, on Kiki's yeah, Delivery yeah. Service and Fist of the North Star. Um, yeah, and he also directed uh, Cannon Fodder, Um uh, and uh, wrote the yep. screenplay for Cannon, Cannon Fodder and Stink Bomb, which are the two well, the latter two segments. Of... I, thought was, I thought that was Otomo. Oh, no, that is Otomo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Morimoto directed Magnetic Rose, and then Otomo. So, yeah, so Koji Morimoto directed um, Magnetic Rose, and he did Kiki's Larry Show for the North Star. Uh, and then uh, Katsuhiro Otomo directed Cannon Fodder, and he is the creator of Akira. He, direct, he both wrote the manga and directed the movie, and he's done a bunch uh, of other stuff but like um yeah he's he's uh he's the akira guy and then uh tensai okamura um is like a a basically a storyboarder and key animator like he did storyboards on cowboy bebop and he did he directed episodes and did storyboards and key animation on eva um you know like if you look at his his anime his like list on wikipedia of like the stuff that he's done it's 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 a lot it's a lot of very very high profile very famous Otomo was the mentor of Satoshi Kon. Yes. Right. So, and Satoshi Kon wrote the screenplay for Magnetic Rose. Yes. Um. So yes. So this is a. It's a compilation movie. It's about two hours long. It's three short films. Magnetic Rose is by far the longest of the three. I thought that first two were the same length. I thought that Magnetic Rose was definitely longer than Stink Bomb, but that might just I mean, be because it, I like Stink Bomb more than long. Magnetic Rose. <laughs> I mean, it felt longer because it was like, like Stink Bomb is kind of a romp. It is, it, uh, and so it 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 went by fast. But I got, I think the first two are about forty five minutes in this, and uh, the last Stink one Bomb is definitely shorter. And Magnetic Rose and Fa- Cannon Fodder, I thought was about. 22 or so yeah i'm actually i'm not sure um but yes so alex what did you think about these i i i liked all of them in to various degrees uh Uh, yeah Uh, overall um this this had it had the highs and the highs and lows epic highs and lows of high school football (laughs) it had the epic highs and lows of anime compilation movies which is that which is to say like it the animation was incredible. Like the animators are oh, just God. flexing yeah. the entire time, um, and yeah. I—they all look fucking great. They're all—they all look incredible. Um, but also, none of them are particularly compelling narratively. Um, you know, they just don't have the space required to develop compelling characters and plots that don't feel either like cannon fodder feels very underdeveloped to me. It feels uh, yeah. I mean, it's because it's, it's so short. It's, it's so uh, short. It's such a little thing. Like it feels very like. It, um, it feels like a proof of concept. Sorry. Yeah. Of. It's un. Yeah. It feels. It feels like a proof of concept for its visual style and stuff like that. Like it, it's. 
it has some themes and stuff that it's interested in, but it doesn't really explore them very thoroughly. Stink Bomb is very funny, and I liked it a lot, um, but it's also just sort of a, uh, an extended comedy skit. Like it, there, I, there, there, there's like, there's some stuff that there like, is. I, I feel like we can dig into it. Um, and then Magnetic Rose is the one that like it feels like if you had never read a book before, it would be really <laughs> impressive to you. It's it's very obviously kind of early Satoshi Khan, like yeah, before like, before he's reached kind of the height of his powers. Yeah, and like it's it's like. It's gorgeous, and it it definitely does the sort of most thorough exploration of its themes. The problem is, is that its exploration and its themes are extremely conventional and trite. Um, yeah, and I I found the entire plot extremely predictable. Um, yeah. In part because I have read the William Faulkner short story "A Rose for Emily," which <laughs> um, you have also read, and which Magnetic Rose draws on heavily i'm pretty sure i actually don't know how well known william faulkner is in japan they have pictures of him on cans of boss coffee he's the he's the boss coffee guy uh well tommy lee jones is the boss coffee guy uh, <laughs> but he's the guy on the cans um so i assume that at least at least some japanese people know who he is um but i don't know like in general how widely read that story is but Cohn has always struck me as a writer who definitely has an interest in and broad knowledge of like Western literature. Um, so it would not surprise me at all if Colin had read A Rose for Emily. Um, so yeah, let's talk about, let's talk about Magnetic Rose. So it's about these people, these guys who are on like a space salvage ship called the Corona. And the, the aesthetics of this ship are off the charts. They're so good. <laughs> yeah. I, they um, just, just big, a... big chunky buttons and switches and like big <laughs> knobs and like one of my favorite things about anime um, is that like and I, I've talked about this on Twitter um, and I think I've talked about this in previous episodes which is that like a difference between live action film and animation is that in live action film you sort of get a bunch of stuff for free like you can just point a camera at a person mm, standing in a room right. and then you have a person standing in a room you know like you whereas in animation if you want a person standing in a room you have to draw all of those things you have to draw the room you have to draw the person you know you have to like basically derive from first principles what that looks like so every uh, every kind of everything in the frame is intentional yeah you have to choose you have to choose for it to be there as opposed to just passively capturing what's um in the yeah. frame and, and this means that for live action film, there's sort of a hierarchy of what's easy and versus difficult to make. Whereas like, like the easiest live action film you can possibly make is a film about like 20 somethings in Los Angeles, you know, <laughs> because like it's all the studios are here, you know, all this, everything is, everything is already here. You can shoot on location, you know, there's no, if there's no fantastical element, you don't have to do any special effects, you know, you don't have to get any special props. Or anything like that. You can get super widely available props, just like ordinary objects that you can buy at a thrift store. You know, you can shoot on location for pretty much everything. You don't have to build a set. Yeah. And it, then for ex every expanding, expanding, uh, right, what you know into shoot what's right in front of you. Yeah, and then any deviation from that is added expense to the production of a live action movie. Whereas in anime, it is exactly as expensive to make a show about 
you know, like teenagers bumming around Tokyo as it is to make a show about teenagers piloting giant robots in space. Except like, insofar as the as the um, like concept art might take extra effort uh, to perhaps. generate 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 new designs that are more yeah. original the, than the amount of extra effort is is much more marginal right. Right. than the amount of extra effort that it takes in live action um and so you can set an anime in a very fantastical setting because ultimately setting making anime at all is already incredibly difficult and any additional difficulty is is just marginal like right. it's right. it's like you you already have to draw so much like making the place that you're drawing these people in a spaceship instead of an apartment is not a substantial difference um and i say all of this that like in uh, live action, doing a scene with like simulated zero gravity is like really expensive and complicated. And live action movies generally don't bother. They have to like come up with some sort of justification about like how um, gravity isn't uh, like you know how how gravity is generated in space or whatever because they don't want to have to have everybody in some kind of wire rig or like floating mm-hmm. underwater yeah. or like anything like that like they don't want to deal with that sort of stuff whereas in anime what they can do is and a substantial portion of like the early parts of magnetic rose are like the spaceship has no artificial gravity They're, people are just floating around they do a lot of really cool stuff with the animation like there's a great bit where one of the guys is like smoking a cigarette and he sees something that surprises him and he like opens his mouth to make a shock face and his cigarette floats away <laughs> yeah i love it so much <laughs> yeah like it's a it's a great little like uh like the first like five or ten minutes is just like just bits of characterization of the crew uh, we've got this himbo um, who thinks he's hot shit uh, and needs more calcium. We've got <laughs> the the smoking classic nerd. archetype himbo who needs more calcium. <laughs> we got we got the computer nerd. We've got the old captain, uh, and then we've got the the um, graying family man. And the, yeah. these four these four lads are 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 are. Um, our little uh, salvage crew yeah that we're introduced to um and so they they receive a signal on like the the international maritime distress radio beacon station uh that is just singing uh the puccini opera madama butterfly um which uh Fuck that! Uh, <laughs> I hate I hate Madama Butterfly. So Wait, I, have we talked about Madama Butterfly on this podcast before? It's po- it's entirely possible. I don't think we've talked. We've definitely talked about it. Okay, because I remember two of us. Yeah, I remember. Like I haven't read or seen the opera, but like in a, a class on um, playwriting, I took in or or theater i took in college we read m butterfly which is like a Ah. kind of a a response to it yeah i so i don't like opera in general i took a like music history class in college in a desperate attempt to learn how to like classical music Uh and i came out of it with an appreciation for bach and a deep loathing for opera Uh, (laughs) and and like madama butterfly it is very funny um so it's it's about this this guy 
this like American soldier. It's like so it was written in like the 18th century, like when Americans like when when Matthew Perry like took the black his like black ships and went and like forced the end of Sakoku. Oh, right. So it's like it's set during like that period because it was written during that period. And it was written by an Italian guy about an American guy and a Japanese girl and is therefore extremely culturally accurate. Um, and <laughs> Oh baby. My favorite thing is that the so the Ameri- it's about an American soldier who like falls in love with this Japanese girl and then he and, like and then he leaves her and like it's you know classic stuff. Um, and he, but his name... By classic, we mean bad. Yes, bad. Um, and the American guy's name is B.F. Pinkerton. And the B.F. stands for Benjamin Franklin. Bad fucker. Oh. Uh, I love that, like... That is incredible. (laughs) So, this Italian dude was like, (laughs) like, what do I name this American character? Benjamin Franklin Pinkerton. (laughs) Um, and there's a great bit where, like, he, he's deciding to stay in Japan with his this girl that he's fallen in love with. And then he looks to his, like, best friend in the military who's leaving Japan. And then they, like, salute each other and just, like, as operatically as possible sing, America! It's so funny. Fantastic stuff. It's a very, very funny. It's not good. It's extremely tedious and boring, but that bit is oh, very I'm funny. Sure. Oh, I'm sure. So, so they they go to provide assistance um, to this to this distress uh, signal. Distress signal, and they find this absolutely massive wreck of a spaceship, and they go inside, and it's like this elaborate, like French Rococo style mansion. Uh, I really liked how, like the little the little detail when they're entering where uh, the captain like starts recording yeah. uh, video and uh, I forget the dude's name the the dad like he holds up his ID for the camera yeah. and like says like Heinz is his I, name I I am Heinz so and so we are now entering this this ship to answer a distress call like this this weird little bit of bureaucracy uh that because because they're like they they have been talking about how they would love to find like a great old wreck and find enough salvage to retire on but really they're just kind of like um like on contract from the government doing like menial like yeah and they also talk about how like they don't want to go after the sos because it's dangerous but they're they're legally required to yeah 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 so, so yeah, so they, they walk around this like elaborate, completely empty, like French Rococo style mansion. Um, and they see like there's like a hologram of like a beautiful outside, and they see this like a lady out there, this like pretty lady. Well, for, yeah, first they see a, a giant painting of her, yeah, and the himbo is like, oh, what a babe! Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna come here as her prince charming, yeah, uh, and, and sweep her off her feet. Yeah, I hope I hope she's the one who owns this place. Um, <laughs> so yeah, and then they they find this like dining room that's full of this beautiful looking food, and then they discover that the food isn't real, um, or it's like made of trash or something. Yeah, like, like he, he takes tries a bite drink- out of it and it's disgusting. He tries drinking the wine and it's just yeah. like tr- like trash water. Yeah, and they go around. And <laughs> one of my favorite bits uh, of dialogue is M- uh, Miguel the himbo. He like looks at this picture of of the lady who who apparently owns this mansion and her husband, and says, <laughs> um, "Makes the immediate judgment that jerk doesn't deserve her." Yeah, <laughs> he's such a he's such a himbo. 
Um, so yeah, so then we learn her name and we find some sort of like memorial room or something like that. It's like it's got a bunch of trophies and it. it's got a hologram of her and it says Ava Friedel who sings evermore July 3rd, 2031. Um... And that that's maybe my favorite thing about this is that all of the stuff that like this this ship was built in the early 21st century and it's designed like it was built in the 18th century. <laughs> yeah, it's just the, it's just the tackiest shit. Yeah, it's 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 and like there's all these like flashback sequences to all of these like opera singers and stuff like that. It's like, you know, opera singers are just like normal people who just sing <laughs> opera. Like they don't dress like that off stage. <laughs> If, if any opera singer did, it would be this woman, Eva Freda. It would be this woman, but yeah, most of them just go home and put on sweatpants like the rest of us. But they, but the rest of us don't build incredibly elaborate space tombs, so yes. it's possible to say who's the winner here. So yeah, so Miguel uh, like finds these these roses um, that appear to actually be new, and then he sees this like hologram of Ava and in like interacting with some people in front of and, he, and he's like totally convinced by it and like he's confused as to why they don't seem to be reacting to him and then it like dissipates and then he goes up to the roses and they're actually like all like rotten and dried out um but but he is officially spooked at this point yes um and this is one of the weirdest things about this was like I didn't find any of this stuff spooky oh yeah no which uh, and it, it, it like well, it until, felt, the, until the little girl fell out of the ceiling. Yes, that was the first spooky moment where like, but before the bear Miguel is spooked before then, and I felt like the movie didn't do an amazing job of like making me sympathize with that mm. or making me understand why yeah. he was scared. Because if I were from the year twenty one hundred and there were holograms that existed, seeing a hologram wouldn't freak me out. <laughs> you know that strikes that's, me that's as true. something that might be perhaps normal um yeah. i think it was the fact like in that sequence like there's a bunch of people around her then she turns and seems to look at him yeah and then the others disappear before her she walks towards him puts the flowers down and so there's like an interaction with Heinz where where like uh, Miguel is like totally convinced by like the holographic illusion out the door of like oh, the like yeah, beautiful meadow, yeah. and he's like, "Haven't you ever seen a hologram before?" Right, and, right, and it's right. like, and I'm like, "Yeah, haven't you ever seen a hologram before? <laughs> like, you're from space. <laughs> you're from the future. You're from the future. Like, like this should not be that mind blowing to you. Like, he's seeing these like." It would be one thing if they were, like, discovering, like, some technological marvel, but they're discovering something made using technology that should be completely familiar to them. Like, and they're reacting to it like people diving out of the way of a train on a movie screen. <laughs> He's a himbo. He never touches computers. He does not. Uh, you know he watches holographic porn, though. You know? You may be onto something here. I am onto something. Uh, so yeah, so they, anyway, they keep they, searching, they, and then they find out they one of the guys who's remained on the ship finds out like her deal and looks looks up right. uh her information on the line and she is like oh she's born a nobility and then she became an opera singer this is another bit where i i was like that's not how that works where she where uh 
he he like is like reading her wiki or like space wikipedia article or something like that <laughs> and and it, it talks about how like she apparently quote lost her voice which is not a real thing that happens like it's a real thing that ha- like laryngitis is a real thing that happens but i when this is where me knowing too much like just like ripped me out of the movie was where i was like like from what like she have an accident or she just stopped wanting to sing like what what do you mean she lost her voice you don't just spontaneously become bad at singing overnight oh yeah that's what i mean this is also part of the persona extended universe uh we talked about persona oh yeah podcast for uh, Perfect Blue, or the Ingmar Bergman film, the, not the Shin Megami Tensei. Game. Right. The beginning of that involves an actress who has suddenly stopped speaking. Um, it turns out for like um, deliberate existential reasons. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so maybe, maybe that's what that, that was. What her deal was because um, she did have something of an existential crisis. Ava Friedel. Our opera yeah. singer. Well, they the start line. talking about, and he and he's like, and this whole second, we're like, oh, they started criticizing her pretty badly, and the world no longer revolved around her. And I'm like, this is not believable. There are so many celebrities who have not, who have produced nothing but garbage for decades, and people still talk about them and love them. Well, it's, I mean, in that, I mean, it's, I think, yeah, I mean, celebrity is so arbitrary, uh, like, you know, like, uh, uh, like it would I'm be not- one, ha- it would be like one thing if they were like presenting something about the arbitrariness of celebrity but it it seems instead to be like they just oh this is a logical consequence like she stopped being a good singer and so the world no longer revolved around it it's like she's still like a rich hot person (laughs) and she's living in the 21st century she'd have her own reality show (laughs) she'd she'd be making she'd be making bank from instagram well, she's ads. not talking how um she she's, have... no she's not singing it says she lost her voice oh, but I think right. what they, they mean... have that they have a clip of her talking yeah they, they it, it does not indicate that she stopped talking it you're indicates right, that she right. stopped being good at singing which yeah. to me is not a sufficient reason to lose one's empire of celebrity um oh. yeah so she so her husband divorces her after this because she was he was only in it for the for the sexy voice that sounds bad i hate the sound of of opera singing man i it's like i know it's hard to do and it's technically impressive it just sounds like ass i don't know why you would do something that's both hard and sounds bad <laughs> sorry uh, um so did he when we look at the space wiki i thought he just i I didn't know if he said she divorced because he says that um, he says their relationship didn't last long she apparently lost her voice yeah that i thought when i thought what he meant by their relationship didn't last long was the fact that he died no i thought that he no because later on there's a plot development where it turns out that she murders him oh yeah no i know but which it, she would only do if he had broken up with her i thought that that was the only sensible motivation for that action well, I, I thought that i i thought him breaking up with her wasn't necessarily public knowledge uh i thought well, it would have been, well it's a hundred years later it's public not everything's public knowledge in the future well i i mean i thought it like I thought he had been planning on leaving her or something. But also they talk about how they thought that the murderer was some crazy fan of hers. And why would a crazy fan murder her husband unless he was in like revenge for him breaking up with her? Because he, like Miguel, didn't think this loser was good enough for her. Fair enough. 
<laughs> um, you know, I think I, but I, I really genuinely think that the implication is that he was breaking up with her. Like, why would they say the relationship didn't last long? He, she, they say their relationship didn't last long. She apparently lost her voice, and not their relationship didn't last long. Oh. She died. Okay, I forgot that. You know, that's that's that the happened. that's the yeah, those sentences are juxtaposed. You're probably right. Um, the death comes like a paragraph later. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So they they keep exploring the house. A weird little girl falls out of the ceiling. Plop. Uh, and then they find the next so, yeah, screenshot. So, so, so I they, have. Sp- they split up, and the himbo kind of goes deeper into the depths, and it gets the sh- the, the himbo goes deeper. <laughs> it gets it's it gets jankier and jankier. Yeah. Like it all looks. It starts to look more and more like a ruin put together. Uh, by a by a very sad uh, conceptual designer, um, and then he finally, yeah, Miguel finally arrives at this like big wet room with a <laughs> whole broken wet piano. So yeah, there's um, this is glowing, there's this is glowing like island in the middle of this swamp. Yeah. And yeah, and the whole thing it's it's covered in some sort of like mysterious brown liquid. Mm. Um. And then uh, he goes and pushes a single key on the keyboard and is mystically transported into into the world of 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 Ava, and she takes him as as her husband because and starts referring to him as uh, as Carlo, the name of her her former husband, and he's like, "Cool, great." <laughs> he, he's one of those undergrads who's like, "You want to enter the experience machine?" Like, hell yeah they're they're right i would like that's my other problem is that they never really fully articulate why it's bad to go into the into the hallucinatory dream where you just like marry a hot lady (laughs) there seems like seems like no downside oh but you're disconnected from reality who cares reality sucks ass in reality this dude works on some bullshit space station with a bunch of assholes If I were him, I'd I'd go into the experience machine too. Yeah, I mean, for Heinz ketchup, it's 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 yeah. He he has like a family. Yeah, he has uh, a family that's, that's gonna miss him, and so he has some responsibility to be, to be there for for them. Um, but yeah, for the himbo, seems like all upside, right? Yeah, he has no life. <laughs> he just watches holographic porn. <laughs> now he's living in a holographic. You best start believing in holographic porn. You're in one. <laughs> Oh jeez! Yeah, like I think there might be some sort of implication that like it's gonna like kill him or something like that, but I don't think they spell that out clearly enough for me to. Uh, well, yeah. Some later when when the, when um, the ship starts, the big space station yeah. starts collapsing. Heinz is like, "Oh shit!" He sees a bunch of skeletons, <gasps> her previous victims. <gasps> so de- yeah. yeah, there's definitely uh, a uh, Black Widow aspect to the whole deal. Yeah, and then uh, Heinz, uh, he walks out onto a stage where he sees Ava, and then Ava like pulls out a gun and shoots him. Oh, no, pulls out a knife and stabs him. Um, oh yeah. And then he like hallucinates that he's back home with his daughter and his wife, um, who are both way younger than him. Um, well his daughter ought to be his daughter ought to be but like he looks to be 
approximately like 65 years old and his wife looks to be approximately like 30 and his daughter looks to be approximately five he's like 45 50 yeah Uh, but his his wife still looks to be about 30 true that is correct um he definitely looks a lot older than a man who would have a child that young yeah she's like supposed to be like 10 years old or something yeah or Oh, is she supposed to be 10 years old? Because she does not look like a 10-year-old. She looks maybe 7 max. Or it may may be his memories. Because at the beginning, uh, one of the guys asks him, how old is your daughter now? 10? Um, So it depends on how how long it's been since he's seen her. Um, If you don't eat it at all, you can't go to space. Um, Yeah, he gives her a little space suit. Yeah, it's it's adorable. Uh, And then... Yeah, and then there during this sequence, he suddenly realizes that none of it is real because his wife transforms into Ava. Oh, um, and so then he snaps out, he snaps back to reality, uh, and then does battle with a bunch of like ba- statues of babies shooting lasers yeah. out so, of their yeah, eyes. So first he snaps out of it, and like he finds that like yeah, it's all just like uh, the same sort of goo that's that's like composing the the underbelly of the space station has constructed itself into uh like a table represent like that from his memories and yeah and so then he shoots the hell out of it and then books it and the same little flying babies who announced the trash lunch when they first got on board are now gonna murder his ass as Uh, as, as, as 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 so often happens when you um board derelict space stations yeah so then heinz goes to try to save miguel um and yeah and then he, we he, learned yeah, that yeah, so, ava yeah, was actually the one who murdered carlo yeah so he, um, reaches, he reaches the swamp sees miguel go off uh uh into in, off the deep end and then yeah he meets he meets Anne ava and she yeah and then do, there's how does he yeah, realize that she was the murderer uh, i think she just tells him that's what this this uh synopsis says yeah I well I, th- I mean i think i think heinz sees uh her interacting either oh no she, i think she says something about how she, uh, oh yeah, yeah she says he, i've made my carlo eternal in my memory so he will never change his mind and then he says you killed him didn't you yeah so he heinz is like it's all in the past this is like you're just like this is this isn't real and then she says yeah i've made i've made him eternal uh and then the, he yeah he connects the dots there and it's like oh you killed him so as to preserve him in perpetuity yeah um so yeah, and then we hallucinate a, a much more decrepit version of Heinz's house um, where he's on the roof. Um, and then his daughter comes out in her spacesuit um, and, and then falls off the roof. Um, and then Ava comes out of the house and, and like holds, holds his, his daughter's body on the ground. Um, and then Heinz like pulls out his wallet and looks at it at, is like almost pulled in by this illusion again, but then pulls out his wallet had like fallen out of his pocket onto the roof and like landed on the ground. Right. And then he picks it up and looks in it and sees the picture of his daughter and realizes that it's not real. Um, and then, yeah, um, and then he shoots the Ava and she turns out to be a robot. <gasps> yeah. Uh, yeah. And then there's, there's a lot of, 
uh, really intense chase sequences. Yeah, well, Heinz so, is trying so there, to get to so Miguel. So there's one bit when he first realizes that. So yeah, so she, so he almost buys into her and the this fake Emily, the his daughter. Wait, is the daughter named Emily? Yeah, she is. Oh, yes. where's her Emily? Haha. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then, then I think once he rejects her, an- the other Emily that fell off the roof goes splat right in front of yeah. him. And that, yeah. and there's a weird thing there where he collapses and he's like, he's freaking the fuck out. Like, because even if he knows on some level that it's not real, like he just saw his daughter die in front of him. Uh, and at first he can't touch this hologram, but then at some point he can. And he picks her up, and I'm not sure what the significance of that is. I actually don't know. Um, the Wikipedia article in the synopsis says that uh, the hallucination makes him relive his daughter's death, and the implication might be that his daughter is actually dead in real life, oh. and that the earlier hallucination was a, a imagining a world in which his daughter hadn't died. Oh, but I'm, I'm not sure about that and like the textual evidence for that. Yeah. Huh. Um, yeah, there's but yeah, there's a very intense sequence after that where Heinz is trying to save Miguel and Miguel is being uh, entranced uh, to his doom uh, and the whole place is exploding and the the ship is is uh, um, the ship is like trying to escape and stuff like that and then we uh, we we get we finally get like a close up on on Ava's like rotting skeleton. Yeah. Uh, as as Miguel and Ava like talk uh, like romantically, and Heinz is like just floating in space. And yeah, so so somehow after um, the the captain and the and the nerd, because yeah, the magnetic field was getting too powerful, so they had to blow up the sh- they had to um, blow up the, the space station and evac. Uh, and at some yeah, at some point, Heinz gets his helmet back on. And then there, yeah. are, there are rose petals floating in, inside his helmet, and he goes, and that's the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Magnetic Rose. Um, ultimately, I didn't find it. I, it's a beautiful, beautifully animated movie. There's a lot of really interesting, like, compositing work of like early 3D graphics, and then like composited with, and then like there's there's some really cool ways that they accomplish some of the hologram effects of like uh, there's like a a, a, a neat shot. When Heinz confronts uh, Ava, there's like a neat shot where he's like clipping through the hologram oh, and yeah, like yeah, at yeah. like thigh height, and then there's like a bunch of the junk and garbage that's also been like composited in. Yeah. And I don't. It looks like it like it's like a cell traditional cell animation, and then like it looks like three D stuff that's been like chroma keyed in like halfway or something like that. It's really cool looking, and I I don't know how they pulled it off. There's a lot of stuff like that in in. Uh, cannon fodder as well which we'll talk about a little bit more when we get there um but yeah it's sort of a a visual tour de force but ultimately narratively i found it very predictable um and not not particularly interesting some of the stuff with um heinz's um like hallucinations and stuff like that it reminded me it reminded me of interstellar i haven't seen Uh, interstellar Interstellar has a very similar. I would not actually be surprised if Christopher Nolan uh, was took some inspiration from bit from Magnetic yeah. Rose for that sort of stuff because it has a very sort of similar thing of like, um, like the the one of the astronauts is like a dad who um, is Imagine like separated an astronaut from his kid who's a dad. 
Yeah, and like it's um there's an episode of I think Star Trek Deep Space Nine um where uh Commander Cisco like becomes untethered from time and like bounces through the ages and like visits his son at like different period points in his life as he's like trapped in the fourth dimension or whatever. Um yeah, it kinda of reminded me of and then also parts of it reminded me of Annihilation. Um in in like, you know, gruff gruff sort of military folks investigating some sort of strange disturbance yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good that point. torments them. Uh, but yeah, but, um, and all, obviously both Annihilation and Interstellar are substantially more recent than this movie, so I cannot blame this movie for um, my having seen those things uh, <laughs> after, <laughs> before, before seeing this movie. But also I have read the William Faulkner short story, Rose for Emily, which if you have not read it, is about a woman named Emily who... Uh, marries a man and then uh, kills him and keeps her corpse in her house for 30 years before her, fine, her murder being discovered after she dies and people finally go into her house. Um, it's a really, really great, really, really great short story. Um, and yeah, and it, it's definitely like got a lot of thematic overlap with this one. Um, it's not the, exactly the same outline, but it's 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 pretty similar. Yeah, but yeah, like there's, I feel I feel like you mentioned that it. Um, I I feel like you can you can do plenty in in a short film. Yeah. So I don't think it's like you mentioned at the beginning that it, the the short these these instances are short. They didn't really have time to develop. And I think it's just more that like what they're going at in this film is is just is isn't anything especially like novel or. Or, yeah, like, they're not if, aiming for anything narratively it's, bold. It's it's about it's about how easy it is to get trapped in your own past and um like lose yeah. yourself in both grief and nostalgia, which is like something that's been has been kind of explored to death. Yeah, yeah, because uh, like and like the th- I think the biggest thematic overlap between this and A Rose for Emily is like the way in which Emily in A Rose for Emily like uh the way that she like murders her husband because it gives her control and it allows her to have sort of like a pristine and she doesn't let anybody in her house and she does all this stuff because she wants to have like pristine control over the space and keep it exactly the same as it always has been. Mm. Um, you know, which is the same, the same sort of thing that, that Ava does here is that she, she wants to create like a perfect place where she has complete control over it. And and it, it it's forever and eternal, and she except in this case, and nothing has to change. Like she is, she or the AI that that runs the space station ha, is is continually kind of bringing in new Carloses in order for her to relive her fantasy. So yeah. it's so it's less kind of a stasis and more a continual like reperformance yeah. of. Because the other thing it draws on, obviously, is, like, the, the bit with the sirens from the Odyssey. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's definitely, it's definitely that. Um, I was actually expecting, because, like, when they first arrived there, I was thinking of the sirens, but I was also like, oh, this is going to be some Lotus Eater shit, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah. And it was not, strictly speaking, Lotus Eater shit. It was, like, kind <laughs> of Lotus Eaters adjacent. It was, like, a sort of fusion of, like, the Siren and the Lotus Eaters and Calypso. Yeah. Um, but definitely, definitely all of those things. Anyway. 
Number two is Stink Bomb. Stink Bomb. This is my this is my favorite one. This one was this this one was great. It's very funny. It's very well animated. It's it's so good. So this is about a guy named Nobuo. The densest who, motherfucker in the, the world. The densest motherfucker in the world. The dumbest the dumbest boy alive. He works. He's a he's a lab technician and he goes into work and he's sick and like seeing this man like walk into work wearing a mask and then take it off to talk somebody just somebody i i hated him immediately yeah like th- this this definitely was the right time to watch this yeah it's <laughs> short so it, be, yeah, it begins with him going to get a vaccine for a new kind of virulent flu uh, yes yeah he's going to go get the flu, and, uh, vac- a flu and then vaccine instead of going home and, and resting it off he goes right back to work yeah um, and then, uh, yeah, and then he's he's like blowing his nose, and then they're like, "Hey, do you? Why don't you try that new fever medicine we're putting out?" There's a sample on the chief's desk. Um, there's these red pills in a blue case, and he's like, "All right, cool, I'll go take these mystery pills." Oh, don't they say blue pills in a red bottle? I thought nope, red pill, red pills in a blue case. Because that's what he ends up taking. I thought, I thought he mixed uh, up the colors. Oh yeah, okay. I did not pick up on that. I mean, I, I. I I think that's what happened. I don't have I don't have screenshots uh, to argue with you, and that would make a lot of sense. Let, yeah, let me let me double check. But yeah, go go ahead. Um. Yeah, and so he takes the he takes this pill, and then he takes a nap. Um. And um. His his boss, like the the chief of the lab, comes in, and is like, "Who touched my red capsules? Who came into my office?" And they're like, "Nobuo went in there a little while ago and took a sample of the new medicine." Um. And then he's like, where is he now? And then fast forward to when Nobuo wakes up um, and there's like an alarm going off. There, and... Well, there's no alarm going off when he wakes up. Oh, right, 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 right when he wakes uh, up. But yeah, yeah, but, but the, yeah they, the, the other dude does say, yeah, those blue pills in the red bottle. Oh, okay. Uh, and then um, he wakes up and everybody else in the lab is dead. Um <laughs> And he's like, "Huh, that's weird." Um, <laughs> he does to, to to his credit, he does freak the fuck out. He does freak the fuck out because uh, yeah, um, he first goes to the front desk and the this st- whole thing is like that that picture of Garfield standing in front of the sign says "No Garfield." And he's like, "Huh, I wonder who that's for." <laughs> God, it is. So, uh, so yeah, the secretary is dead, and then uh, everyone in his in his lab is dead, and then. Uh, and then he calls uh, an ambulance and then goes to the chief's office and the chief is dead. I think he thinks that they're just unconscious. Yeah. Um, and at first it's sort of unclear, yeah. I think, whether they're dead or unconscious. And he, yeah, so he, he like sets off an alarm. So he's realized that the power has been turned off. Uh, and he wonders why. So he turns the power back on. Alarms start blaring. Everything goes crazy. All the screens in the chief office turn on, and there's a bunch of people uh, yelling at each other. Yeah, and then, and then see, eventually and then they, they all him. stop yelling at each other, and there's just like one guy with like a weirdly tall head. Tall head. Uh, you know he's, he's important. Yeah. Um, and and the guy with the tall head is like, what happened? And Noah was like, I I don't know. I just woke up. And it's like, you just woke up. <laughs> uh, and it's like, what's going? On? And it's like, I'm just the only person here. And 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 so they have this conversation. And it's like, okay, 
I need you to bring me a sample of what it was that you took because if you don't know what it is, well, I need you to bring it to well, me. No, he doesn't know that he took it at this point. So, oh, okay. so he says that everyone is collapsed uh, and he doesn't know what's going on. So the dude who's like the head of the head of pharmaceuticals for the big corporation that our, our little functionary works for, he realizes that this new uh, bioweapon they're developing has has uh has leaked has leaked and so it's like okay bring it to us so, he, so we can so, make yeah. a, a so, countermeasure so he he asks him to bring all the documentation and these pills uh to tokyo for him and, and then yeah and then uh our little our little nobuo runs around gathering everything and then picks up till he's like oh these are the ones i took huh puts huh. them in the briefcase and leaves <laughs> Yeah, uh, and then um, gets on his little gets on his little bike. And we should I should mention at this point that the music the in music this, fucking it's goes so good. It goes so hard. It's incredible. It's so good. It is just this, like incredible, just like jazz fusion funk nonsense. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the soundtrack is immaculate. Um, so yeah, so he starts heading towards Tokyo, um, and, uh, he, he basically, as he, as he goes, his, his stink gets stronger, <laughs> uh, and he, and he kills basically everything in the surrounding area. Yeah, first, first it's like, finding, like birds dead, falling out of the sky. Yeah, and dead people and stuff like that, and then he, he crashes his bike, um, and then we and he sees flowers everywhere too and like yeah. there, there was snow and then but all of a sudden there's flowers blooming everywhere he's like that's weird <laughs> yeah uh and then he uh he he, he he eventually he like goes up on top of a building to oh like, yeah to try to like signal for help and then like a reporter comes in yeah, so we cut to like the crisis mode where like the entire I'm not sure which valley this is in Japan, but like it's been it's been like shut down. People are trying to evacuate like yeah. full full on apocalypse mode. And then we've got some reporters flying overhead with their gas masks on. They're like we can even smell it from up here. And then they're like there's there's nothing moving in the valley, but there're flowers everywhere. And then they see it one one little freak on the roof waving a flag like oh we can do a live rescue we'll be heroes um yeah so then they 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 land with this guy and then they get out of the helicopter and they both immediately die (laughs) and then he he nobuo picks up the camera and is like what the fuck is going on bro (laughs) and his family's at home like nobuo what have you done now yeah like the like this like grandkid like pulls the dad in he's like look nobuo's on the tv and they're like oh nobuo what have you gotten yourself into now uh, and then we get uh the, the we, we go to like the government war room where they're trying to deal with this situation um and we get the the opposite of the uh, the Tim Robinson hot dog costume. I we're all trying to find the guy who did this. Where they bring up Nobuo's picture, and this guy's like, "I think we conclude this guy is the cause of all this." 
<laughs> what well, yeah, it takes a second so like at first they're like what the fuck's going on and then uh, our our long-faced man is talking about how they were secretly drilling a bioweapon um because some minister had instructed them to build to start developing some like biological countermeasure to for some sort of defensive capability and then they realized as a side effect of it, it had offensive capabilities so they started developing that um and then and and like everyone's yelling at them to try and figure out how how it escaped and then uh they're like well what are you doing about it and he, he's like oh well, we got one of our one of the employees from the lab is is bringing it here with us and then uh the one of the government guys like there's a survivor and long face and his like his body look at each other like oh fuck they've just at <laughs> they've, that exact moment have realized what that means they, 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 yeah they finally con- connect the dots <laughs> um, and then they talk about how the, the smell strength is proportional to his movement emotional state and metabolism and then they're like well we need to keep all of that under control and then they realize like we have to kill him <laughs> yeah. yeah they're like uh w- very quickly they're like i let's just fucking kill him <laughs> yeah um and yeah and he Except, uh, and then so the, yeah, the he, americans are like no we would like to study this man yeah it's very funny like the the relationship between uh the the japanese government and the u.s government as portrayed here is very funny because like the japanese government is like we need to kill him and that's obviously bad and then the u.s government is like no we need to capture him and that's also presented as obviously bad (laughs) um so yeah and then immediately afterwards i think they just shoot at him with a bunch of missiles right well first they have okay so they have have his grandma show up they have have kind of uh, different uh, working at cross purposes because they have a helicopter with his, with his little uh grandma in there being like with a megaphone being like no go back don't go to tokyo i'm not sure why but they say it's dangerous yeah. <laughs> and the, in the funniest like thing in this movie and the kind of the most characteristic nobuo is like grandma Grandma, wait, come. And then he just keeps on driving. Yeah. <laughs> he, well, like, what she says just passes over and through him. Yeah, he just not internalized. Because what happens immediately after that is that is that she tells him to turn back, go back to the valley, and, and not go to Tokyo. And then there's, some, like, army snipers in the helicopter with her who pull out a gun and then start shooting at him, and she gets pissed at them. And it's like, what are you doing to my grandson? <laughs> And he's like, and then I think, I think what happens in his tiny little brain is that he's like, well, these people are shooting at me, so I probably shouldn't listen to what they say. <laughs> or, or he's like, well, it's me. I better get to Tokyo quick so I can finish my finish my task and go home. Yeah. <laughs> like, they, like it, it's it's like there's a couple like I watching this now, like there's a temptation to read it as kind of uh, this just i i was reminded of of just kind of the kind of inexplicable thoughtlessness that a lot of people have have had in the face of our current pandemic yeah and just 
how they whether it whether it's a uh it's less it's in some cases it's less a conscious refusal and more just a like a subconscious just walling off yeah. of reality i remember this was not late in the pandemic i think this was still in 2020 when i saw it, it was either a tumblr post or a tweet where somebody was like i work at like they worked some they worked at some kind of store and they were like somebody who was gonna come in and they weren't wearing a mask and i was like sir can you please wear a mask and he said why and i was like the pandemic sir <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there there is literally one person who can use that who can say why. And that there was that one story about a guy who had been living off the grid for six months oh, yeah. and like 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 stumbled into town like midway through a pandemic and it's like, why is everyone wearing masks? <laughs> but uh. but yeah, I mean and, and but I think probably when 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 this film was made it was it was probably more interested in kind of certain aspects of like either corporate culture or because uh, he he is a very kind of unimaginative unambitious little yeah. little fucker and he gets this important task from like his boss's boss's boss and like he becomes just completely tunnel vision focused on it yeah uh and so i i don't know enough about kind of the intricacies of like japanese business culture to understand like if that was what they were going for that if that was all they were going for but uh watching it now there there are kind of other other themes come yeah. to mind yeah it definitely it definitely brings something up although in the real world when people put other people's lives in danger, they don't do, the government doesn't do anything about it. And it's in fact, mostly the people putting people's lives in danger. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know. See, um, after the snipers go at him, yeah, we get this amazing sequence where they unleash like the enti- the nation's entire arsenal yeah, at him. Yeah, just like the whole, the full brunt of the JSDF <laughs> is brought down on this guy on a moped. <laughs> and he not only does he avoid everything he doesn't seem to really internalize or react in any way that indicates that this is unusual he's just like wow this sure is a hard job i'm doing <laughs> yeah so so yeah so after his bike crashed he had been walking for a little bit got really hungry so he started like just eating he probably just like picked something from a, of a yeah. empty convenience store, a, a bodega, as they say in New York. Uh, a bodega, I hear you say a bodega, as they say in Japan. <laughs> and then, he, yeah, he found a moped, and yeah, he he is he is clearly befuddled by the fact that everyone yeah, everyone he, is he, is dead or 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 a, every if they, every when he sees is dead and the the city he walking through is largely abandoned, but it never really, uh, escalates to. Yeah. He's never more upset than he is, but instant he sees the secretary dead after that, that is the peak of his upsetness <laughs> and it's all downhill from there. Yeah. 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 Like, like, to, like he treats like 
the, he he treats like the the whole f- like hundreds of Hueys with missiles like coming in to shoot at him and try to blow him up with the same like reverence that most of us like looking like refreshing Jira and seeing like a high priority task <laughs> at like five p.m. Yeah. You know, yeah. like. That's that's how that's how he reacts to just like military force being brought to him, which is like, ah, geez. <laughs> Fantastic stuff. It's really good. Um, so, yeah, so they the the Japanese army still keeps trying to trying to kill him. Yeah. And the Amer- but the Americans uh, call in NASA <laughs> and because like the American guy there's like two American guys, um, and and like those this sort of like main American guy is like we have this new NASA spacesuit, and he talks about like how it's like completely immune to like all smells or whatever, and then he's like it could take a trench mortar, you know, and and not and be completely fine. I'm like, do they have trench mortars in space? <laughs> Why would you build a spacesuit like that? <laughs> uh, yeah, but they build these spacesuits. Um, yeah, there, there's other good bits in there where, like, like yeah, they're trying to like evacuate everybody. Yeah. So the, re- the yeah, yeah one of the reasons that he he can't die apparently is that like in addition to the smell, like there's like electrochemical reactions that are oh that yeah, are, like, yeah yeah frying all their targeting systems. Yes, right, right, right. Yeah, I forgot. About so that. like as yeah. he gets as he gets more and more like stressed out from he's 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 getting he's to be fair he's a bit, he's sweating more he's yeah he's sweating more as the, the so so the the reaction is stronger and we're getting more stinkies and more um just kind of various new uh reactions out of his out of his body that are yeah causing all of the all of the missiles to go awry and there's extremely bruise, blues brothers ass like tank pile up where they all all the tanks crash into each other when they're trying to uh shoot him shoot they're trying to blow up this bridge that he's crossing over but they all just (laughs) miss completely and then we get uh the greatest greatest traffic snarl you've ever seen yeah and then eventually he like goes into a tunnel and then like the army has like planted explosives in the tunnel and they blow up one end of the tunnel and then they turn on fans at the other end of the tunnel to keep the smell contained and they're uh, and they're and they're trying to like freeze him i think they're talking about bringing in liquid nitrogen and uh the, he's he's he starts like shivering so i think they're trying to <laughs> like turn him into a popsicle yeah um, and then the, the Americans show up and they're in their spacesuits and they walk out and they just like, they don't talk to anybody. Um, they just walk in there with their spacesuits and, uh, and Nobuo sees them and finally is fucking terrified of something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and there's like this huge, like explosion of stink as he gets so and stressed it's like out. Electrical storm. Yeah. And then there's like a like a flash there's like a moment where uh it's like, oh did the did did he like kill the NASA guys? Did he explode in a stink so ferocious that it that it obliterated their spacesuits or something like that? And then they come back out with him. 
uh like the the, 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 the come out, come out they come out yeah they come out carrying a body and one of the um japanese military guys like oh well the yanks are all right aren't they yeah he says uh, the great the yanks are okay uh, correction regarding one of my previous posts um you do not under any circumstances gotta hand it to them yeah uh, and then, so yeah, so then flash, like we get sort of the aftermath and all the guys in the war room are like talking about like, oh, thank God, you know, everything worked out. You know, the emperor didn't even get on the plane. You know, you know, I'm glad I'm glad he's gone. Um, and then this, the Americans, co- like a, a guy in a spacesuit comes in uh, and they're like, oh, the American soldiers are back. And it's like, oh, it's kind of weird that like he's, they're coming in back in the spacesuit still. <laughs> Um, and then the the visor opens up and it's revealed that inside the spacesuit is Noboro <laughs> and all of the stink is trapped in the suit with him. Yeah, so yeah, first he hands over the briefcase to our tall face yes. guy and the guy's like, um, thank you? And then, yeah, then, and then he, he kind of de- uh, the spacesuit's like, yes, it, it, it goes transparent and you see his face swirling in all the green smog uh he's like sorry i was late <laughs> you know yeah like i was worried about where they were taking me but i thought i wasn't gonna make it let me get out of this <laughs> stupid suit <laughs> and he gets out of the suit and everybody dies jazz uh yeah it's it's really good it's like yeah, you're talking about like it being connected to like corporate culture and that kind of thing. Like it, it, it's both like a a joke about like the way in which like this this guy his like single mindedness on like finishing this task like completely blinds him to the absurdity of the situation. Um, but also, I think it's 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 a joke about like in in general like militarism mm-hmm. and like the way that like war is used as a response to problems that might be better suited in some other way Mm. because i think like the ultimate joke at the end is not just that he didn't understand that he was the problem but also that nobody ever really tried to explain to him that he was the problem Um, like his grandma was like oh it's dangerous but we don't know i don't know why yeah and then he got shot at right they didn't explain to her either yeah, the, and the, the only reason why they even entertained the possibility of telling him to turn around was to give make him stop for long enough for them to shoot him. Oh, um, yeah. You know, like, yeah. like, at no point did they think of trying to communicate with him in any way to tell him what to do or anything like that. Like, they just immediately went to let us bring the full brunt of the Japanese military down on this guy. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, and like apparently, even after they captured him and put him in a suit, they still did not explain to him why he was in that suit. Oh, oh, I. So I maybe I misinterpreted that. I thought, um, his like freak out and stink storm actually did kill the NASA guys, and he was like, and just like he commandeered the Vespa, he was like, oh uh. well, uh, this is cold and scary. I'll get in this suit for the rest of the way <laughs> uh, that's possible i guess i i guess that's that's maybe a, a sensible interpretation i actually don't know um because i was gonna say like i'm not sure why he would put on the suit yeah um but yeah it is definitely possible that he still killed them and because i i don't have a good screenshot of the moment when they because i thought multiple 
astronauts walked out of the tunnel and not just one. Oh, that could be. Um, because if multiple astronauts walked out of the tunnel, then that wouldn't make sense. Um, but if, if only one astronaut, if, if four astronauts went in and only one came out, then, uh, then maybe you're no, right. It looks like, it looks like multiple did come out. Oh, okay. So I think you're probably correct. Yeah. But that, that was definitely, I was like, nobody explained to him that he was too stinky to live. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah. And then number three is our shortest one. It's called Cat- Cannon Fodder, uh, directed by Katsuhiro Tomo. Um, so we've we've uh, a couple months back uh, we watched Keep Your Hands Off Izuken, and this is basically what if uh, Asukasa was a fascist. Really? <laughs> I mean, not really. I was, this was just I was I just I just thought of that joke at the very end when uh, oh he's drawing. our characters our little boys um, doodles turn uh, become real and he imagines himself as the the one who fires the gun. Yeah. So this is a, uh, uh, it's a short, like what this feels like more than anything is a style test. It has a really interesting style to it. That is unlike really any other cartoon I've ever seen. It, it actually looks a lot more like some Western cartoons that it does like other anime. Mm. Um, yeah. It reminds me of some like like Cartoon Network kind of stuff. Um, in certain aspects, it reminds me of like Over the Garden Wall and Flapjack. Um, and yeah, so this, it's about, it follows this kid who lives in this like fascist autocratic city state, um, that is devoted to the worship of a giant cannon. Um, and, and like firing every building has cannons on it and they all fire their cannons over the wall at some mysterious, some mysterious unspecified enemy. Um, and like overall, it is like this is what it's about. There is there is, uh, like uh, about like the absurdity of fascism and the absurdity of war. It sort of has a lot in common, I guess, with like 1984 and like the sort of manufactured military yeah. conflicts. Yeah, of it's very much a like it, yeah. It doesn't matter who we're shooting at or why. Right. Like what matter? It's like a reduction of fascism to its most essential components, which is just that like there must be some enemy out there that justifies the absurd amount of force we are, um, we are rallying to to defeat it. Yeah. Um, and there's there's a guy. There's one. There's one bit that that really struck me as like very on the nose was where like there it's like in the factory where all the i think all the kids are working or all the adults i'm not sure so there's a bunch of people working and then somebody comes in and um is like oh it's l- to like announce that it's lunchtime oh, yeah. and then and he is drawn like a racist american world war ii caricature of a japanese <laughs> person with a toothbrush mustache oh right the toothbrush mustache <laughs> yeah it's like it's like a weird like what if hitler were drawn like a world like an american world war ii anti-japanese propaganda poster it's it's in it's a bizarre character design um but it was really interesting to see like a Japanese studio like reappropriate some of that imagery for criticism of their own government. Mm, um, you know, like if, if that appeared in an American made or a European, uh, cartoon, I would think it was really gross, but in this context, I think that they know what they're doing. Um, and so, yeah, so it's, it's mostly focused on these sort of scenes of, uh, people 
uh, of, of people working and of the kid going to school and just sort of uh, of like everyday life in this society that's entirely devoted to firing giant cannons. Um, yeah, the, the, and there's there's like a moment where they all like leave work and there's like a bunch of protesters <laughs> outside about how the uh, protesting about how the gunpowder contains harmful substances. <laughs> like that, yeah, that was that was re- that was, I was about to mention that too because like it like it feels like that is a sort of thing that would only exists in kind of an earlier stage of fascism and it yeah like it's it's an odd like it's an odd moment in an otherwise but kind it also of feels... example of a very kind of like a pure end state fascist society yeah it, it reminds me of stuff like like that sort of classic like hire more women guards kind of feminism uh... of, of like um like protest as being sanctioned or as being okay only if you tacitly accept the underlying assumption that manufacturing a bunch of gunpowder to like shoot at people is good it's just that we need to do it in a way that's less harmful right and like that's fine you know yeah that's a good point and that struck me as being as being that joke of like these are people who are protesting and organizing over some like extremely minor aspect of something that had that is ultimately much worse than they're imagining it to be. Yeah. So yeah, in, um, yeah. In a sense, they're 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 reifying the underlying society yeah. and just just by um, debating how we go about killing people. Yeah, and that struck me as like, you know, I don't know, a, I don't know a ton about the history of like imperial Japan. And stuff like that. I don't know what sort of stuff was going on or like what sort of like protests or like what sort of anything was was happening. But it definitely struck me as as sort of ringing true. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And then uh, we get near the end. Our, our little our kid comes home and he he asks his dad, who are we fighting? And his dad says, you'll understand when you're older. <laughs> if you have to. Uh, after they, they watch like a news broadcast, it's like, our victory will soon come. Shoot and blast with all your that, strength for our nation. Yeah, they repeat, they, that's their slogan. They, they repeat a couple of times. Shoot and blast with all your strength. I'm not sure. Even if... And, f- back, fighting Japan's declining birth yeah. rate. Oh, and did you notice the... Like the um the ss logo uh uh i did because like they have they use a font it's like it looks like english but with some of the letters flipped around and like written with very unusual glyphs and so it's meant to look like a a foreign language but you can definitely uh the first time i noticed it was when so uh at the like the factory when the when one of the big men in charge comes to do the ceremonial pushing of the button that fires the missile uh, Ah. when he's carried around by that little um like conveyor uh oh yeah so so when when it when it when it when it, it it's this like it's this this, fit, this funny little like hydraulic um elevator that moves him to like the blasting station and when it gets off there's like a there's like a watch your step sign uh, yeah. but it says step and it, but instead of the s it's the ss <laughs> Yeah, so like on this sign that says stop the poison gas. Yeah, so like instead yeah. of S's they use like the S basically the SS logo. Yeah, yeah. Um so they yeah. Yeah, it's but yeah, and then uh yeah, and then there's that sequence, this like crayon drawing sequence where um we get to see our our yeah. little boy imagining himself as the one who gets to fire the right, missiles. Right. So he goes to bed and his dad looks at his his art and it's just a little him him with a little cape with a bunch of missiles and then 
uh it yeah we go into kind of the, our, our the boy's little imagination where he says like when i grew up i want to be the one who fires the gun i don't want to be just like my dad and work and like um yeah and like that's you know that's the that's the dream is that you're the one firing the gun you know yeah, and then it, yeah he goes to sleep and, and then kind of uh is the, the the lights kind of um filter past his window at first i thought it was they were about to get bombed to shit by like the other side but that but it's out of- there on the wikipedia article it mentions that the defense siren sounds and it it uh it says that a blue light sweeps across the window and that is hyperlinked to the wikipedia article on nuclear weapons <laughs> well that's definitely one possibility which definitely like that strikes me as highly plausible given that this is like made by japanese yeah. creators yeah. and yeah. like talking about like sp- especially like reflecting on the legacy of fascism in japan of being like we did all of this awful shit and we made everybody miserable and we constructed the society entirely based around this doomed conflict and then we're just obliterated anyway right um but yeah but like the thing that's really special about this one is that it's it's very unusually for animation is constructed to look like it's done in one continuous take oh yeah um and it does some like really interesting compositing work for that like it doesn't look p- parts of it look almost like they're 3d like modern 3d anime with like the ca- some of the camera moves and stuff like that but i don't know if it is or if this is still too early for that kind of stuff or like because it doesn't look quite like it does now and it looks more like it's like just some extremely elaborate like compositing and like multi-plane camera trickery yeah. um, very you stuff. know and it's it's really cool and just like you it's it, it really is just like a an extreme flex and like that's so much of this because so much of it is like just sort of scenes of like everyday life and work and there's not really much of a plot it's just sort of like a day in the life of this this kid um they get to do a lot of like you get the sense that like everything was designed by like what would be fun for us to animate you know like what gestures would be fun to draw like what would be like how could we show off with this style of like you know there's there's just like a ton of like really great walk cycles and tons of just really great gestural animation of like people like manipulating huge machinery and like and like a ton of just flexing on how good they are at like conveying weight and effort and like physicality in animation it's really cool to look at yeah yeah uh, yeah that's that's memories uh alex uh-huh. do you want to do any delights Oh hell yeah! The nine delights. So, um, the first one is walking around. Is it not? Yes, it is. Hold on. Uh, typing in nine no longer auto completes to nine delights in my browser for some reason, you gotta... and it, does, it no longer immediately brings up the tweet. So I have to look look at one of our previous episodes. <laughs> Yes, anyway, so yeah, first one is walking around. There is a heck of a lot of walking around in all three of these shorts. Uh, oh, um, yeah. Uh, especially in Stink Bomb, <laughs> but in all three of them. And and the walking, I mean, it's very pleasant to look at because it's so well animated, you know? Like, everybody who worked on this was just a master of their craft. Oh. I gotta give it a five out of five for walking oh, around. Oh, sure, for sure. Uh, for Fellowship... <sighs> 
there's a there's a fair bit of fellowship in magnetic rose yeah you get to see some bros we got, they, they got the bros and then um, and the other two not as much yeah so yeah it, and in um if interpreting interpreting it broadly like uh in magnetic rose like there's like ava trying to kind of preserve forever her her relationships if so if we're understanding fellowship broadly it's a little bit more than fellowship. i know but but i'm trying to be deep here so i'd appreciate it uh, <laughs> but yeah magnet, magnetic rose definitely has fellowship as the most most theme like it's about the relationships between people whereas stink bomb is about a bunch of assholes <laughs> and cannon fodder is also about a bunch of assholes uh, so i'm feeling like a two yeah yeah i'd say so uh deliciousness <laughs> not much to be had here zero yeah there's like, no the food, the, the food in magnetic roads is literal trash uh yeah the only food that we see is the food in stink bomb, bomb this dude finds by like the yeah, side of the room and the primary the primary ingestion in stink bomb is the the pill that's no good yeah and there's a little there's a tiny bit of breakfast in cannon fodder but it's a fascist it's breakfast good fascist breakfast my f- the worst my f- the worst po- post-punk band <laughs> i was gonna say my 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 the worst japanese breakfast cover band. <laughs> um anyway uh transcendence i don't uh, feel like this movie yeah magnetic much. rose wants to be a bit transcendent yeah. it it stumbles it's incapable of translate transcending its influences yeah and i think you know like it it ultimately all of these feel like lesser versions of what they could be or what they were clearly inspired by um you know so you know there's there's really there's the animation is very good yeah you know so i i, I won't give it a zero but i would maybe give it a one or a two what, what do you feel I, maybe, I would say at least a two uh like it reaches first it reaches a little higher than it can grasp but the animation is transcendent yeah Goofing, uh, Stink Bomb's real St- funny. Yeah, Stink Bomb is going to carry this category. Yeah, Stink Bomb is honestly Stink Bomb alone. I think merits this four out of five because it's very it's, funny. Yeah, and there's there's enough goofs that are funny in Magnetic Rose and Cannon Fodder that I think I think this is a four out of five. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll go along with you on that one. Uh, amelioration, not much. Not a lot. No. Yeah, like Magnetic Rose has a sort of like sad, ambiguous a, ending. Yeah, plangent. Um, uh, um, Stink Bomb has a comedically, like darkly comedic ending, and uh, and Cannon Fodder ends with, if Wikipedia is to be believed, a nuclear explosion. So, not much. Not much. Maybe like a one yeah. in in the sense that like the ending of Stink Bomb is narratively satisfying and canon the ending of canon fodder is is also somewhat narrative like the all of their endings are narratively satisfying but they don't ameliorate right so i would give that maybe a one yeah yeah i think that's fair uh coitus our himbo our himbo wants to and he might get some uh hot holographic he might get some hologram smash but um and but yeah uh there's a single boob in magnetic (laughs) A 
<laughs> that that uh, a single boob is not quite as much. You you're not you're not wrong. Uh, enthrallment. Uh, like I was like moderately enthralled with Magnetic Rose. I was very enthralled in Stink Bomb, and I was like moderately enthralled. Yeah. In like in uh, like Cannonball. Yeah, I I I had a good time watching these. Yeah. One one thing that I was thinking about a lot as I was watching was that this would be really really fun to like watch in a theater mm. with a bunch of people especially with like a bunch of friends or like just like hang out and like watch it on like a big TV with a bunch of your friends. Yeah. I think that would be a really good time and a lot better of a time than what I did, which is watch each section of this during my lunch break. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, you know, like, like it, it definitely seemed like, like that sort of environment would be better. Like a, a sort of communal appreciation of like the, the jokes and stink bomb and just like the high quality animation yeah, and stuff point. like that seems like you would get yeah. a lot more out of it than sort of more like, very like fastidious intellectual <laughs> like uh note-taking kind of experience that we yeah. do on this on this podcast but nonetheless like not like they're all short like yeah like, um n- none really overstayed their welcome and so like i sort of felt like magnetic rose overstayed its welcome i was definitely <laughs> near the end of magnetic rose i was like all right i get it. <laughs> okay yeah fair well I you, got can, it. you can knock off a point then. Let's do a let's do a three, right, maybe. Right. Uh, and then what is your? Oh, my wild card. What your wild card? Ah, shit. Um, well, I would do Faulknerism, but I haven't actually read A Rose for Emily since in like since like high school. So it's. I will say that Magnetic Rose does not embody the style of William Faulkner yeah, it doesn't. In, any, in any meaningful um, way. But so, but it, it was it was it was like, yeah, I was the one who who made the tenuous connection between the two. So I'll I'll take the fall for this one and give it a two in Faulknerisms. Uh, I'm gonna go with chunky user interface design, yeah. and that's a that's a four out of five you want a five out of five let's go because there's there's good user interfaces in there's good user interfaces in amazing interfaces in magnetic rose they're pretty good in stink bomb and they're also really really great in cannon fodder so yeah alex do you have a book to read uh i i guess i do so um i had a bit of trouble because i haven't been i haven't been reading a ton recently uh, but what, what I'm going to recommend is um, a book. There's, there's, there's some themes of uh, getting lost in one's memories and um, having trouble kind of uh, living pointed towards the future rather than towards the past. And a new... Oh, yeah, that's that's one thing that... Uh, is is interesting in the sense that I see how the theme of memories connects to Magnetic Rose, definitely. And I, I can sort of, in the sense that fascism is obsessed with nostalgic and can see how it connects to cannon fodder, how fucked is the theme of memories connect to a guy who's a really stupid... <laughs> <laughs> memories, uh... Oh, I remember when I wasn't stinky. Yeah. <laughs> Remind you to take a shower. Um. Yeah, a new annotated edition just recently came out of Mrs. Dalloway by Virginia Ooh, Woolf. Um, 
We're both going highbrow. I just realized I, w I was considering recommending something else, but I'm actually going to recommend something different. And we're both going very highbrow. Ooh, what are you recommending? I'll tell you in a second when I recommend it. All right. Well, I don't have a, a lot to say. If, um, if it's, it's, what's there to say about Virginia Woolf and Mrs. Dalloway? It's a fantastic. Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? I am. Because I, I read it once and there's so much going on that I have no idea really kind of how to summarize it. And I haven't read the annotated edition yet. So my thoughts are uninformed and naive. Well, I guess you can you can say what it is, which is that it's a sort of dense, it, modernist. It's, it, it's, yeah, like, it was one of the, it was it novel. was an early kind of. Um, it's written, stream it's of, stream like of consciousness, of and it was one of yeah. the one of the one of the first novels to kind of like pioneer that style about yeah. the woman, Mrs. Dalloway. Um, and primarily her, but also shifts perspectives um, to like a, a, a war a war veteran, um, but mostly about her and just kind of how she is continually both kind of remembering and like almost relitigating her own past um, throughout what would normally be a completely ordinary day, but um, it's just kind of layered over with her constant um just deranged brain <laughs> yeah it, it gets compared a lot to james joyce's ulysses which uh virginia wolf did not like james oh joyce's yeah ulysses. i remember reading about her like some yeah. of her unbelievable yeah, dunks she, I, on, I'm on the wikipedia article for it now because i wanted to look it up because i knew it was on here he says and she says i finished ulysses and i think it is a misfire genius it has i think but of the inferior water the book is diffuse it is brackish <laughs> it is pretentious it is underbred not only in the obvious sense but in the literary sense um <laughs> it's really it's very funny and i said that as a i like both mrs dalloway and ulysses i, I used to I, I used to not like ulysses but I, it's grown on me over i haven't years. read it they're both similar books in the sense they're both sort of dense modernist stream of consciousness novels about a single day in a person's life. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I definitely think that they, they have more in common than maybe Virginia Woolf would like. To think. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, yeah, Miss Delaware is great. I am also going to recommend a, uh, a dense modernist stream of consciousness novel. Uh, I'm going to recommend late in August by William Faulkner. Hey. <laughs> Uh, we were talking about the, the Faulknerism of an intellectual. Um, that's a reference to a joke that we make on stream all the time, so nobody's, nobody's going to understand the that. The dandyism. Yeah. Okay, so in uh, in Final Fantasy VII, there's a scene in Costa del Sol where you go to the beach and you can see Hojo on the beach, and he's just, like, chilling, but he's still wearing his lab coat, and you could talk to uh, a lady... Uh, like one of these like bikini beach ladies who's like fanning him and she's like he never takes off his lab coat in, in the English version she says he never takes off his lab coat e even in this heat I guess that's the mark of an intellectual but in Japanese her second text box isn't that's the mark of the intel an intellectual she says such is the dandyism of an intellectual she, she says dandyism <laughs> which is a word that has been loaned into Japanese that for a sense of what it means, it gets used in both car commercials and shampoo commercials in Japan. <laughs> um, so yeah, 
it, it, it only only of loose relation to the the English word dandyism. Um, anyway, Light in August is a long Faulkner. I don't know. I don't remember if I've recommended the Sound and the Fury on this podcast. Um, but the Sound and the Fury is also very good. But yes, William Faulkner, uh, one of the great writers of the twentieth century. Um, and Light in August is about a pregnant white woman and this guy who uh, passes as white but believes himself to be mixed race. Um, and it has this sort of really strange... If you've read... Uh, um, if you've read The Sound and the Fury, then you'll sort of recognize a lot of the hallmarks of his sort of like stream of consciousness, sort of like time jumping kind of style where like, um, and you, you see this a lot in, in, in the sound and the fury, you see this a lot in like in Benji's chapter, which is the first chapter of the book and Quentin's chapter, which is the second, second or third chapter of that book. I forget. Um, where it like, it'll like the person will, the narrator is like in the stream of consciousness will like be jumping back into a memory of a previous time. Um, without really telling you the reader that they're doing that and it's up on you to sort of pick up on the clues that they're talking about something not that's happening right now but that's something that happened in the past um and yeah and it, it deals with a lot of really interesting questions about like it's 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 faulkner's i think most faulkner wrote a lot about race in his in his novel and he he grappled a lot with his relationship to racism and his and and like the legacy of of slavery in the south as like as as a white man who grew up in the south and he did so in a way that is both you know very thorough and very thoughtful and very compelling um you know even now but also that's definitely like limited by his experience as a white man from 100 years ago um but also is probably better than one could reasonably expect most white men from 100 years ago uh, to do, uh, but yeah, like in August, if you if you like that sort of like dense modernist kind of writing uh, that pretentious English majors like me <laughs> like to write about, then uh, you will like Light in August. And if you don't like that sort of thing, you will not like Light in August. But I could not pass up the opportunity to s- sincerely recommend William Faulkner after joking about William Faulkner. <laughs> um. Anyway, it is my pick this month for what we're going to watch. Um, I had some ideas. I'm looking at the list now. Mm. Uh, Given our conversations about... Yeah, I was going to... About about kind of the craft of anime and... Yeah. Yeah, okay, let's do that. Okay, so yesterday on stream, we were recording this on... Friday, April 29th, and we were streaming La- Yakuza Like a Dragon last night, Thursday, April 28th, and we were talking about uh, the anime Shirobako, which my friend and co-worker, Esteban Fajardo, friend of the show, uh, recommended to me, because um, we were talking about Keep Your Hands Up, Eizouken, and Alex has seen Shirobako, and I have not, and Alex, after watching Eizouken, Alex was like, oh, we don't need to watch Shirobako, but from what... <laughs> My my good my good my good boy Esteban has told me about it. I am interested in seeing it. So next month we're gonna watch Shirobako. Yeah, I was I was uh, uh, I was thinking at the very beginning when we were talking about memories and and just kind of um, there's something something we were talking about about kind of the the production kind of 
or of the the craft of anime that was so clearly brought to bear on this on this short made yeah. me think of um kind of our our shop adjacent yeah, this, this movie this movie is definitely a movie that is enhanced if you have a knowledge of uh how anime is produced and how anime used to be produced and stuff like that like and I think that's true of pretty much anything that carries itself on like the strength of its animation is that if you if you know what they had to do to make it look like that, you'll like it more um, because it is it is a, a Herculean feat um, to to produce anime that looks this good. Um, so yeah, so Shirobako um, is what we're going to be watching. It's apparently, a, next a month. little a little movie spinoff too. Uh, ah. it's so yeah. So Shirobako was directed by. Tsutomu Mizushima and uh, produced by PA Works. Um, I have I have not watched a ton of PA Works stuff, but what I have watched, I haven't liked. Um, the, yeah, the, the the first thing I've watched from theirs is Hanasaku Iroha, which I yes. like quite a lot. Um, despite it. One of the very first anime that I ever tried to watch, which was PA Works most... When I first got into anime, it was one of PA Works most recent shows, which was Angel Beats. Uh. That show is ass. That show <laughs> sucks shit. And that show was so bad, it made me stop watching anime for like three oh, years. wow. Yeah. Because I was like... I, 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 I I had watched at that point, I had watched Cowboy Bebop and I had watched Ava. <laughs> and then I had watched... Uh, I, I had watched Soul Eater... Uh, I'd, I'd watched like half of Soul Eater and not really liked okay. it. And then some of the people in the IRC channel that I hung out in were like, dude, you gotta watch Angel Beats. <laughs> and I watched Angel Beats. And not only is it awful, um, the thing that really made me stop watching it was that the English... So I was watching the English dub at that point because I didn't know any better. And it was so, an unbelievably annoying and terrible. And so then I put on the Japanese voices and they were also just as annoying and oh, terrible. Wow. Um, and so then I was like, well, I guess anime isn't for me. Uh, and then it turns out that, uh, most people just have terrible taste in anime. I'm, um, I'm trying to remember when this was made and, um, what it was, but like there, there's a sub, like one of the shows in, in Shirabako that like, that like the, like the, a, a, a fictional anime within the show that like the director had previously worked on maybe a reference to this uh ah. i forget if it's supposed to be a direct reference or not but yeah well we'll I've find seen, out i've seen some pa work stuff and like the stuff i've seen that is better is the stuff that leans towards slice of life like my favorite thing that they've done is that i've seen is hanasaka iroha um and my least favorite things are the ones that are like the romance e the e ones um glass lip they also did the the uma musume pretty derby oh, they anime. did uh so yeah the, the, i i i think they've got a pretty uh up and down <laughs> the problem with me trying to pronounce French words correctly is that I find the French R sound, the H, so much fun to say yeah. that I say it for almost every it's, consonant. I mean, of the it's, word. it's it's much more satisfying to do a ha ha uh, accent than it is to try and do a honest, respectful French accent. So I apologize to anyone listening. 
for our... Uh, I don't apologize to the French for anything. <laughs> um, yes. So yeah, we're watching we're watching Shirabako. That's what we're watching next. It's produced by PA Works. Um, anyway. Uh, Alex, where can people find you on the internet? I am online. Uh, I, I remain on Twitter. Uh, done, done, done. Uh, I am on Mastodon. Uh, Catalina at selfie.army, uh, which is yeah, the newly reinvigorated Fediverse. Uh, I stream on trash.cloud, and I think that's it. You can find me on Twitter at profit underscore goddess. You can find me on Mastodon at profit underscore goddess at skeleton.cool. Uh, you can find the video games that I make at profitgoddess.ish.io. Uh, I blog at blood.church. I also stream on trash.cloud, sometimes even with Alex, like we're going to do after this recording. Um, and you can find the show on Twitter at Animes for Jerks. You can find the show on Mastodon at Animes for Jerks at gmail.com. You can email us. I just realized I forgot to check our email. This is an incredible scam email. It says, hello, this is to officially bring to your notice that the United Nations, in conjunction with the federal government of America, has decided to compensate all scam victims. <laughs> incredible. That's like the, the, the um, NFT scammers who just target the ones who just got scammed. Uh, when they when they lose their apes and they post on Twitter about it, it's like, oh, follow my friend XYZ on Instagram. Uh, I had the same thing happen, and he got my apes back. Yeah, that's really that's that's really good stuff. Uh, anyway, uh, you can email us about any opportunities for uh restitution for all these scams we keep falling for. Uh, at animesforjerks at gmail dot com. Uh, please email us with any thoughts about any shows that we uh, have watched, are going to watch, uh, that you want us to watch, any books that we've recommended, anything that we've said on any of these podcasts. <laughs> Just email, please email us. Uh, we're so we lonely. Are, it's true. Uh, yeah. And anyway, remember, there is nothing less important than anime. Thank you and good night. What Shaven's carpet to dance. Go and daddy woke with driving old worker and move. Anti authoritarian ants. Since you're anti imperialistic ants. Anti depressive ants raise anti tall, tall ants. Long, long ants ants growing into the hall. Sweet, sweet smell of soy, impresses and rapture's stand. Long, long, as the ends, scrolling into the hole. Sweet, sweet smell of soy, impresses and rapture's stand.